0: In just a few minutes, we'll be uh, looking at uh, the book of Acts, chapter 15, Acts 15, and we're looking at verses 36 through 41, if you'd like to find your way there, whether it's in the Bible app or um, in your Bible or whatever it might be, Uh, we do have that available in the Bible app for you as well as on our website. I don't know uh, if you've ever... um, Taken those personality profile tests. Seems like there's always a new one every few years, and you know people are always sharing them on social media. Like, what are you? Are you a? I don't know. Maybe you're a Bigfoot or something. Not <laughs> no, don't say that. But uh, uh, there, there used to be like the DISC profile, and, and I took that, and I was a high D. Ooh, surprise! And. Um, You know, there's all these different ones. And so this week I was sitting there and I was like, oh, I found another one. And I was like, I wonder what this is. And it makes you, it's an animal one. You're either a lion, a wolf, a bear, or a dolphin. And so I took this and says, congratulations, you're a lion. (laughs) Wonderful. What does that mean? I don't know. Uh, it told me I was a lion, but my favorite part was it said 10 to 15% of people are lions. I was like, oh, oh. Yes, I'm in the top tier here, and people want to be a lion. And I said to my wife later, I said, "Yeah, I said uh, people want to be a lion until they are a lion, and then they don't want to be a lion anymore because you got all the all the issues that comes with being a lion." But anyway, we're, we're talking about personalities uh, this morning, and uh, what happens when you know we have these different personalities? How do we how do we get along? And that sort of thing. I don't know if you've heard about the two porcupines that were in freezing temperatures. They huddled together to try to keep warm. They had a problem because when they got too close to one another, their quills would stab each other. So they had to move apart. They needed each other for warmth, but they needled each other with their quills. And, you know, sometimes church members are like those porcupines. We need each other, but we end up needling each other um, uh, just how abrasive we are this, this, that or the other Vance Havner said that there are many porcupine Christians they have their good points but you can't get near them <laughs> undoubtedly if you have been in church for any length of time you've met someone whose personality just graded upon your personality and you know that you're supposed to love these people and if you were honest, you would say that you really don't like them. You may have even been serving in ministry where you've tried to work with someone who wanted to do things in a way that seemed wrong to you. And you could tell that there was uh, that just wasn't going to work out. And, and you knew that you, your way was the right way, and, and you just wished that they would follow your way. And I wish I was speaking in hypotheticals, but I'm not. I've been in ministry for over 20 years, and, and what I'm describing is, is a reality. In fact, I would venture to guess that this description may even describe someone's marriage. We need to learn to deal with situations of, of dif- differing personalities, and there's a lot of reasons that we need to deal with it. First and foremost, the command uh, for us is to love one another, and that's not a small command. It's the second greatest commandment in the, in the Scripture, only after love of God. If we do not love our brothers and sisters in Christ, whom we have seen, then we cannot love God, whom we have not seen, according to 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> also, Christian unity is not a minor issue in Scripture. Just before his death, Jesus prayed for unity so that the world would know that the Father had sent him You can't shrug it off and pretend like, well, it's no big deal. Let me also say this. Sometimes Christians uh, get discouraged. They've quit serving the Lord because of a clash that they had with another believer. Some have even dropped out of the Christian life altogether because of, of what they either observed or what they experienced in the church. They got hurt. And they wrongly concluded, since all Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, Christianity must not work and fall away from the Lord.
1: And so we have to learn what the Bible
0: has to say and what the Bible has to teach us about resolving our personality differences. I'm thankful for passages like Acts 15, 36 through 41, which gives us some insight into how to deal with personality and methodology differences. So I would ask that if you are willing and able, would you please stand out of respect for God's word this morning as we look at Acts 15, 36 through 41. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had been drawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. There arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray. Father, take your word this morning. Teach us from it. Teach us how it is that we are to deal with one another, even with all these different personalities. How can we get along? How can we treat one another with respect and honor? Watch over us this morning, Lord. Watch over my mouth that I would say what you'd only have me say this morning. That I proclaim your word clearly and forthrightly. Speak for your saints are listening, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Luke reports to us this clash that happens between two great men of God, Paul and Barnabas. It's not a pretty picture. I wish we were reading that they talked things over. They calmly agreed to work in different spheres, but that's not what we read at all. Instead, we read that the clash uh, led to an unpleasant rupture in these two godly men's working relationship. Both Paul and Barnabas must have grieved over this for years afterwards. But there's such a great lesson here for us, and that lesson is that we must work hard to keep unity despite Personality differences. There are four keys that I want us to observe this morning from this passage of Scripture when it comes to the idea that we all have different personalities and how it is that we can keep unity with different personalities. Number one, personality and methodology differences exist even among godly Christ believers. Personality and methodology differences exist even among godly Christ believers. In my experience, we often think that everyone's spiritually mature. We we'll never we're never going to clash with someone else, which is not the case because we do clash with other Christians. I don't think that we should be looking for things to clash about or that we even should have frequent clashes over personality differences. In fact, I believe the closer that we grow, to Christ, and the more mature we become in our Christian faith, the more we will be able to calmly and amicably handle our differences. However, until we are perfectly sanctified in heaven, we will have differences with one another. It's just the the way it is. And there are times when those differences may even be severe, especially when two strong leaders clash with one another. I want us to see four things concerning these clashes in personality and methodology that I think will be beneficial first I want us to see uh, clashes between those with the same theology clashes between those with the same theology notice theology does not matter there can still be clashes between those people that have the exact same theology Paul and Barnabas had just left the Jerusalem Council where we saw a few weeks ago the core issue was salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And this was affirmed at the council. They had the same theology. Both Paul and Barnabas agreed about it. They they had worked together for over a year reaching the church in Antioch. I'm certain certain that they hadn't agreed on the core doctrines that were essential to the Christian faith. But now we see this, this personality clash between them. And it's a clash over practice in ministry. And, and it's whether we should take John and Mark on the second missionary journey with us. You see, this isn't a clash over theology. They have the same theology, but it's just a practical ministry clash. Secondly, there can be a clash between those committed to the cause of Christ. Paul and Barnabas aren't these baby Christians. Both of these men have been walking with God for years. Acts 11 describes Barnabas as a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith, whom the Lord used to bring considerable numbers to saving faith. Paul is described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're both fully committed to doing the will of God. They had both risked everything for the sake of Christ. And yet here they are. In, the, in this personality clash. both committed to the cause, both with the same theology. Thirdly, notice that there can be clashes between those who have served together for a long time. Paul and Barnabas, they have a long history together. Barnabas was the one who had went to Paul and listened to his testimony when the Christians in Jerusalem were afraid to accept Paul. I mean, he'd been killing all these Christians, throwing them in jail. Nobody wanted to be around Paul, and it's Barnabas that goes to him.
1: Barnabas had also
0: went to Tarsus to look for Paul and brought him back to labor with him in ministry at Antioch. The Holy Spirit directed the two men to be commissioned together to go on their first missionary journey. These men had served together in the spiritual battle with one another. Paul had a... Godly concern to revisit the churches they had seen God establish on the first missionary journey that they had gone on to, to see how the churches are doing, and both of these men had a heart for the well-being of the churches. Yet these two teammates who had served and they had labored and they had suffered together for many years for the case of or for the cause of Christ clashed. Just because you serve together for years it doesn't erase personality differences and they can still lead to strong clashes fourth resolution may require outside help resolution may require outside help when we have these these clashes we can have clashes with the same theology clashes with uh, people committed to the cause of christ Clashes between people who served together for a long time. Well, resolution to these clashes may require outside help. We don't have any record in Acts chapter fifteen that Paul and Barnabas sought help from uh, other leaders in Antioch. We don't have that. We don't. We don't see where they. They said, "Well, we need to resolve this conflict. So let's seek what other leaders have to say." But later on, when there's two women in the church at Philippi who are having a conflict. Listen to what Paul wrote. Philippians 4, 2 and 3. I entreat Judea and I entreat uh, Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Notice, Paul does not confront these women for being in sin. We don't see this. So their conflict... Must have been a personality or a methodology conflict. But for the sake of church unity, it was important for for this companion that Paul speaks of, which is most likely Epaphroditus, to help these two faithful women work out their conflict. If someone's going to mediate these, these personality differences, that someone needs to be a mature, committed Christian who can apply biblical principles to the conflict. They should be objective in how they listen to both sides before making judgment as to who is at fault. And they have to be open and direct and truthful. Paul didn't beat around the bush, did he? He didn't drop hints of what what what, what the problem might be. Instead, he directly names these two women in a letter that would be read to the entire church and by Christians for over two millennia. How would you like to be these women, right? Your, your little spat in the church now gets read by everybody in front of the whole church, and now it just it's a part of history. A mediator also must be affirming and positive wherever they can. Notice what Paul says here; he affirms these women for sharing his struggle in the gospel. He assured them that their names were written in the book of life. He doesn't doubt their salvation. He doesn't say, oh, man, you got to watch these two women. I don't even know if they're saved. So this is just to say that if, if you're in a conflict with another believer, with a personality that grates on your personality, or another believer who just wants to do things differently, then don't escalate that conflict by, by questioning their salvation, by, by, by coming to the pastor or someone else and be like, oh, I don't even know if someone's so saved. Don't attack their motives. Right? We like to do that. We like to attack, assume someone's motives. Don't attack their motives as being sinister, saying, well, they they had it out for me. Instead, recognize that personality and methodology differences may exist even among true believers. Secondly, I want us to see that we must ask what is the real cause of difficulty. We must ask What is the real cause of difficulty? We have to do a complicated thing at this point, when there's a difficulty with someone else. We have to try to disengage our emotions and think objectively. And that's sometimes hard to do because when you have have personality problems, it's hard to disengage your emotions. So often our emotions come to the forefront and and that's how we want to act and react to situations. So I have five questions to help us when it comes to these difficulties. Question number one, is it theological? Is this a theological difficulty? Is this a difficulty I'm having with someone because of theological differences, a personal wrong, or we just have different personalities are they spiritually immature do they just have different methodology we have to we have to be a little careful because it sounds more spiritual when we say that we're defending the truth against spiritual error, or to say that the other person sinned against me that sounds real spiritual than it is to say well i just don't like their personality it grates on me that doesn't sound spiritual at all but sometimes that's the truth it's also real easy to label the other person as being spiritually immature, rather than admit your own shortcomings and your own faults. So it's a, well, they're just they're just not they're not as strong as a Christian as they should be. In this case of Paul and Barnabas, both of these men are spiritually mature men. Both were totally committed to the Great Commission, and as far as we see in the Scripture, this conflict is not the result of sin. From one of them, though I do believe their response and how they dealt with the issue was indeed sinful. I'll get to that uh, in a little bit. Usually, if there is a conflict or difficulty, it's for a variety of reasons. So we ask first, is this really a theological issue? Secondly, is it a biblical principle? Is it a biblical principle? So, is there some sort of biblical principle that's at stake? And again, we have to be careful because Paul could have very, very easily quoted Jesus here, right? He could have said, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God because that's what John Mark did. And Paul could have quoted that. Therefore, John Mark should not go with us. Barnabas could have countered with, yes, but God is the gracious God of the second chance. We see this in Jonah. We see this in Peter. We need to give John Mark a second chance. You see, both men have scripture that would reinforce their belief. And Sometimes because of personality differences, one person will emphasize a certain biblical principle while another person emphasizes a different biblical principle. Now, if this principle is essential to someone's ministry, their approach to ministry, it might be best to agree and do ministry separately to say, okay, well, we're not going to see eye to eye, so you've got to do ministry and in your way and I got to do it separately somewhere else here's a question what if we can't separate from the person what if you're clashing with someone that you're married to then what do you do and this happens often it happens more often than you might think I've talked with couples that don't sleep in the same bedroom. It's not because one of them snores too loud. (laughs) I've seen people married for years that don't even get along. They think they know their spouse. They don't go through any marital counseling or anything like that. And then they get married and they realize, wait a second, their personality clashes with my personality. It's like my wife and I, we are exact opposites. I mean, total opposites. If you know her and me, you know we are exact opposites. And this leads me to the third question that we have to ask. Is God trying to develop godly character in me? Is God trying to develop godly character in me? There are times that God in his grace, and sometimes I believe in his humor, brings two people together, Whose personalities are like sandpaper to one another—they just are. But how are you know what the the beauty of sandpaper is? You use it to take off rough edges. That's the beauty of it. We don't need patience, gentleness, kindness, self control, etc. When the other person agrees and sees everything our way, you don't need that kind of stuff. When they're like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, you go ahead. Wonderful, wonderful. I agree wholeheartedly. Right? You don't need any patience when that's all that ever happens. I don't need to learn to deny myself when the other person thinks that I'm wonderful. Like I'm just, you know, God's gift to women. That's not true, but if that was it, my wife does not think that, trust me. But if that was the case, you know, I wouldn't need to learn patience. Oh, well, you know, Josh, he's just wonderful. He's the best person ever to walk the face of this earth. However, when there is a clash, God often confronts us with our own selfishness and our own stubbornness. That's what happens so often when, when we have these clashes. We sit back and we, we, if we actually reflect on ourselves, we're confronted with just how stubborn and selfish we are. If we submit to the Lord and don't bail out just because it's hard, He will use that to develop Christ-like qualities in us. That's why marriage is so great sometimes, because when you, when you don't agree, you have to sit down and reflect inwardly and say, okay, what's the real issue? And work it out. And God develops priceless qualities in you from that. And so I'll ask that, that question. Is God trying to develop character in me? Fourthly, is this a preference, a sin, a violation of conscience, or a wisdom issue? Is this a preference, a sin, a violation of conscience, or a wisdom issue? This list comes from a book I have called The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. So if it's uh, just a preference issue, why don't you just yield to the other person's preference? That's what we're told to do in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. So if this is just an issue of preference, just yield to their preference. If it's a clear sin issue, then then you should gently help the other person see their sin and come to uh, repentance, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If it's an issue of conscience, you need to explain to the other person that you're not judging them for their behavior, but in good conscience before the Lord, you can do whatever it is that they want you to do. And you don't force them to act against their conscience. We get really good at that, right? So we have a conscience issue, And then we want to force someone else to act against their conscience because it's our conscience issue, but not theirs. we try to make it their conscience. You follow what I'm saying there? Like, like, I don't believe that you should have a tattoo. Therefore, no Christian should ever have a tattoo. That's a conscience issue. But we try to force everybody to follow our conscience. If it's a wisdom issue, study God's word together seek the counsel of godly leaders if you still can't come to an agreement then you may have to decide not to work together and if you decide not to work together you resist the temptation to say I told you so when their method doesn't work so you may have to say yeah we just can't work together and then if it doesn't work out you don't go up to I I told you it wasn't going to work see you should have listened to me Fifth, fifth question we must ask, is God trying to teach me about the body of Christ? Is God trying to teach me about the body of Christ? This is such a great question because so many church conflicts happen because people do not understand they're God-given different spiritual gifts. Church consultant called George tells a story about a church he visited as a consultant. Cars were all lined up to get into the parking lot. Young families filled the auditorium and the Sunday school. He learned that many of them were new believers, excited about the church. They liked the fellowship. They liked the worship. They liked the pastor's warm and friendly messages. But the pastor was discouraged and he was ready to resign because some of the most mature saints in the church who taught large Sunday school classes were highly critical of his ministry. They said he had weak teaching, they complained, Nobody can grow on this kind of food, they griped. So, Dr. George helped the critics see that it was those with the gift of teaching who were critical of the pastor. He wasn't a strong teacher, he was gifted in evangelism and encouragement. Rather than criticize him, those that are gifted in teaching need to see that he was bringing in hundreds of young families who needed to be taught. By these gifted teachers. Without the pastor, they wouldn't have anybody to teach. The same thing can happen in a church where the pastor is a gifted teacher, but he's not a gifted evangelist, right? Those gifted in evangelism gripe that nobody's being won to Christ in the ministry of the pulpit, and yada, 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 and go on and on because because they don't don't have the same gifts. Dr. George, George points this out. You can often tell what a person's spiritual gift is by what they criticize. The woman who complains that a church is uncaring probably has the gift of mercy. The guy who gripes about a lack of organization in the church probably has the gift of administration. If you have a personality or a methodology clash with someone, listen to what they're criticizing. Listen closely. What are they criticizing? And you may discover their gift. And if you affirm that gift, perhaps you can divide up the work according to the different gifts and work harmoniously together. Say, well, you know what? Why don't you take this? Because you obviously have this gift. In order to maintain unity, we must recognize that differences exist between godly leaders. And we must ask, what is a real Issue of this difficulty. Thirdly, we must judge our pride and anger and get to the heart of the genuine issue in a spirit of love and humility. We must judge our pride and anger and get to the heart of the genuine issue in a spirit of love and humility. So, what happens whenever we have these personality clashes, right? We want to know who's right, don't we? we If if we read a personality clash, we want to say, well, who's right? If we're in a personality coach, well, who's right in this this matter? Luke was obviously close to Paul, but he didn't blame Barnabas or Paul. So we had to be careful. Some some might give a slight nod to Paul here because it says that the, the brethren commended both him and Silas to the grace of God. And nothing is really said about Barnabas and John Mark except that they sell to the Cyprus. But if we have the rest of Scripture, I believe we can say that both men were right and both men were wrong. Paul was right in that he was a, a sturdy pioneer. He was fearless um, in venturing into enemy strongholds. He needed teammates who would not run from the battle when things got hard. John Mark had not proven himself to be this kind of man, and therefore, he should not have gone with Paul in the first place. Barnabas was right in that he could see in John Mark the undeveloped potential, and he wanted to extend God's grace to this young man, despite his earlier mistakes in deserting the cause. History actually proves him right, and that Paul later tells the church in Colossi to welcome Mark, which is John Mark. And in his final imprisonment, Paul tells Timothy to bring Mark with him because he was useful to Paul for ministry. So Barnabas' efforts to reclaim Mark for the cause paid off. So both men were right. However, I believe both men were wrong. And this is why it seems that both of these men fell into sinful anger the way that they handled their disagreement they both did what we often do right they stubbornly dug in their heels and refused to affirm the other man's point of view and I'd be willing to bet both said that they were standing on biblical principle now get this both could have actually agreed to disagree And prayed for one another as they parted ways in a spirit of mutual respect. That's not what happened. We're told that they had a sharp disagreement. That is a state of intense emotional turmoil, especially expressed in words, is what that means. A sharp disagreement. They were provoked with one another. Neither man was following Paul's later directive from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience towards one another. It may have been God's will for them to separate, but it was not God's will for them to separate through a heated fight. I want to look at two practical things here that will benefit us. First... It's often that our greatest strengths are the area of our greatest weakness. It's often that our greatest strengths are the area of our greatest weakness. Paul's strength was that he was resolute in his commitment to follow Christ no matter the cost, to stand firm in his convictions. You could beat him. You could throw him in prison. You could stone him. You could shipwreck him. But it didn't matter. You are not going to stop Paul from... From proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's weakness was that this resolute commitment of his hindered him from accepting and working with a weaker man like John Mark, who had potential but needed patience and some nurture. Barnabas' greatest strength was his ability to encourage the faint-hearted, He was a champion of the outsider. He was a champion of that fringe person. He knew how to show grace to those who had previously failed. But he erred on the side of showing grace to those who needed to be confronted. Paul mentions this in Galatians 2.13 when he said that even Barnabas was carried away with the hypocrisy of Peter and the other Jews who withdrew from eating with the Gentile Christians out of fear of offending the Judaizers. So here's the lesson in all this know yourself whereby God's grace are you strong and gifted. Exercise your strength for the glory of God. However, it would be best if you also were careful that your strength doesn't lead you into sin. Secondly, notice this. God always uses imperfect earthen Vessels like us in his service. We should not put too much trust in men, but in God, alone is perfect. We're imperfect. Praise God that he uses us. But when we start putting too much trust in men, we run into trouble. Think of our passage. You couldn't find two more dedicated godly servants of Jesus Christ than Paul and Barnabas. Here they are clashing with one another. All through the Bible, we see that every great man of God has weaknesses and failures. While there's a proper place for trusting the leaders that God has placed over us, and we should trust them, we have to be careful that we don't put them on a pedestal. If we trust in men rather than the Lord himself, we'll be shaken when those men disappoint us. There's all kinds of of big-name Christian leaders that have fallen in the last few years. People are shaken to their core because they put their trust in men. The fact that God uses imperfect men and women in his service should encourage all of us to get involved in ministry as well. Trust me, I'm not perfect. I just say, well, you know, I'm pretty perfect. I think I ought to be a pastor. <laughs> no. Far from it. As long as we're not Tolerating knowing sin in our lives, God can and will use you for His purposes despite our imperfections. And that should encourage all of us to be involved in ministry. The last thing I want to share with you this morning is this. If we can't work it out, we still serve, even though separately. If we can't work it out, we still serve, even though separately. As I've said previously, unity does not mean that we all have to work closely with one another while we need to work hard to try to work out any differences that we have there are times when two workers may actually need to recognize that God is calling them to serve the Lord in different spheres and that's okay if there's a parting of ways it should be done with mutual respect and without bitterness or animosity we see that that rarely happens right Christians get mad and they blow up and they're all angry at someone in the church. and They leave the church and they go tell everybody in the town about how terrible that church is. That's the way it usually happens. When I read this passage, I wish we had some words about Paul and Barnabas. That they came and eventually patched things up before they parted ways and they prayed for one another and blessed one another's ministry. But that didn't happen. Paul did later speak in a supportive way about Barnabas and Mark. Unity also doesn't mean that we all have to agree on every secondary doctrinal or practical matter either. A few weeks back, I mentioned that there are some core truths that every Christian must hold to, or they're denying the faith. However, there are many issues where godly Christians who are committed to the Scriptures disagree. We have to be charitable towards one another on these matters not, Lord, our preference over people. Finally, there are many differences over methods that we use to do the Lord's work. We should always seek to follow biblical methods, not worldly methods. Some methods are so unbiblical that they they deserve criticism. However, just like with doctrine, godly people disagree over methods. Right? That's just the way it is. We have to be charitable towards those whose methods we disagree with, even if we can't work closely with them. Don't run them down. The point being, if you can't work it out, don't allow that to keep you from serving. If, if something happens and you're just like, I got to part ways, don't part ways and, and not serve and just leave altogether. Part ways and still serve. Somewhere else, or or where you're gifted at. I want to close similarly with how I close every week by saying that you really have nothing to motivate you to work out your personality differences if you're not a believer. Sure, you may have a relationship that you're struggling with, but ultimately, if you're not both believers, are you really going to put others before you? You see, one of the marks of a true believer is indeed their desire to put others first. That's their desire. Maybe this morning or today you'd want to make that commitment. You want to trust in Christ as your Savior so that you can take the first step in working out those personality differences to know what it's like to actually live your life by putting other people before you. Christ doesn't come to fix your personality. Right? That's not like... He doesn't say, I came to fix your messed up personality. But he does come and say, take take up your cross and follow me. It's a call to die to self and live for him. And if you'd like to do that today, you can do that by calling out to Christ to save you, by trusting in him. You can do that by praying something like this, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are God's son. You died to forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I turn from my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. I want to live for you the rest of my life. Amen. It's not a magic prayer. Christ saves you if you put your trust in Him. He causes you to now want to live for Him as you die to self. If you said a prayer or you want to know more about that, I'd love to follow up with you. you're online you can text the word faith to 309-328-3488 it's word faith to 309-328-3488 it'll just take you through a follow-up if you don't want to do that you just want to send a text message to that number you can do that as well i'll try to get back to you there was a british admiral lord nelson he once came on deck of a ship and he found two of his officers fighting He whirled them around and pointed to the enemy ships nearby and explained, Gentlemen, there are your enemies. Whenever we face personality and methodology differences in the church, we need to remember that the enemy is out there. We are too often quarreling and fighting amongst ourselves, sometimes over silly things we're on the same team members of the same body committed to furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ in the same community if possible we need to work together despite our personality and methodology differences and if we can't do that then agree to continue to serve the Lord separately while affirming one another's gifts and contributing to the cause of Jesus Christ Maybe the Lord has spoken to you this morning on how you've handled personality differences. Maybe you've dug your heels in and said, I'm not going to budge. I want to give you a chance to respond. You can do that in your pew by praying. You can come forward and ask for prayer if you want to do that. I just want to give you a chance to respond this morning as we close out the service with a song. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. for your word this morning. I'm thankful that we can read of these clashes even in Scripture between two godly men. We can learn from them. We can understand that not everybody's perfect. Obviously, Paul and Barnabas weren't perfect people. No, Lord, we can... We can look at this and realize that sometimes we're just sinful in the way we respond to other people. Because they have a different idea. Maybe their personality is different than ours and it just rubs us the wrong way. Instead of actually asking questions about what's going on, a response so often is a quick, knee jerk sinful reaction. Lord, I know I've done that in my own life. I'll probably do it again before this month's over. Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Maybe we've driven someone away by our response. Maybe there's someone that's no longer in this church because of our response. <laughs> Did you speak to us? Perhaps we need to seek forgiveness from you and from them. Because we've had a sinful response. So Lord, I pray that if you've spoken to us this morning, whether it's about our personality and how we respond to other people, or, or it's about salvation and the fact that we don't even know you, and whether we need to respond in person or we need to respond online, Lord, I just pray that we would respond this morning. That we would listen, that we would search our hearts. We'd ask ourselves, if you are calling us to respond to this message, to your word this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, to respond this morning.